Pete, this week I have mm. two very, very important questions for you to answer. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. All right. Number one, you ever had social anxiety? <laughs> mm. No, I don't know about that. What are we no. talking about? No. Doesn't ring a bell, social anxiety. Do you want to read, read it in my book? Yeah. <laughs> so you've had social anxiety. Hey, Pete, uh, second question. You ever uh, use nose spray? <laughs> I don't like this character. Okay. I just oh, need to show you my you nose, nose spray. spray right there. That's <laughs> Not perfect. Only that, I actually keep it in a little a wee holster. Do right you? In the small of my back. <laughs> That's like all the jocks do. <laughs> You're the coolest. <laughs> uh, well, social anxiety and nasal spray, get ready to put those two great tastes together because Vistagen Therapeutics out of San Francisco, California, is finishing clinical trials of the snazzily named PH94B which is an odorless nasal spray that has therapeutic potential for anxiety disorders, including SAD, social anxiety <laughs> disorder. I don't like this way that I'm talking. I'm going to calm down. <laughs> In phase two clinical trials of March this year, PH94B produced rapid onset anti-anxiety effects within 15 minutes. What? what? This is a nose spray you shoot in your face and it makes you less. This is like happening right now. I would right do now, that they're coming up with this. Freaking heartbeat. <laughs> right? PH. I'm Are you that, kidding? I am not kidding. Um, and there's a big game changer part of it, even more than the fact that it's uh, like a nose spray, and that's weirdly dope. It's not a benzodiazepine like Valium, Xanax, or Clonopin. Okay. The dip because, and why this is important, because a benzos, <laughs> that's what I like to call them, can be effective, <laughs> but they can also be addictive or tolerance building. But pH94B is different. Do you want to know why? Of course. Duh, because pH94B had no significant effect on GABA <laughs> potentiation. It doses up to 10 micromolar, you idiot. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All of this, it's this is all so new and happening right now. Almost all the information is actually coming from clinical trials, which read like legit another language. So I don't have a lot of like handholdy facts other than the fact that it works. And they've been doing these tests, clinical trials, where they you take it and then you have to give like difficult speeches in front of yeah. large crowds and stuff. And it is having remarkable effects within 15 minutes. Well, I can tell you, this is, I got so excited the moment you started talking about social anxiety nasal spray that I started trying to find it on Amazon. It's not there yet. No, it's uh, coming. <laughs> it should be coming, but it's, a, yeah, it's a non-addictive nasal spray that you shoot in your face and then 15 minutes later, you feel a ton better. Not bad, science. Not bad. And you know what? I think science should really lean in on solutions to complex problems that are resolved by shooting you in the face. <laughs> No, oh, with nasal spray, or you don't want to right, limit. Right, you right, don't want to put right. handcuffs on science. No, <laughs> yeah, just shoot it in my face. Yeah. I've been on the road, I've been doing shows. Now we ain't steak, remember sleeping on the floor. Still at the gas station when the time's cold. In the kitchen, hostel, trying to flip it out the stove. Rocking fake J's, praying that nobody knows. Watch him take my dog away, it was way too hard to stay composed. Fight to see the light of day, all this blood on my clothes. I was tired every day, green light, it's time to go. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And each and every week, we drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out. Send us the story of your anxieties. How do you do that? I'm so glad you asked. 
<laughs> you visit what's that smell.net and right at the very top it'll say, Hey, submit your anxiety. And you can do that. You just click on the button and then it's a little form that pops up and it just says, Hey, what's your name? You want to tell us? We'll take it. Otherwise, maybe your initials are fine. And then you you t- hit tab and it'll go to the next field. And then again to the next and then you just start typing. You just say, Hey, here's what I'm scared of. Here's what I'd love to hear you research. Here's what I need you to get to the bottom of for me. That's what I need you to do right now. Can you help me, Pete? Tommy, can you can you hook us up? And then you hit submit, and then we have it. And then it'll show up on the show like magic. Oh, anxiety magic. And with that, I'll go first. Tom. Peter. I don't want to put you down. Uh, I don't want to get you in a down mood because you're in a good mood. You're feeling good. You're in a good space. But I do have to ask you a, a question. Okay. The question that I have for you is this. What are you going to get from your parents when they pass away? <laughs> Guilt? Do you know? I mean, oh. do you know, like, are I they? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, they uh, actually, because, well, there's no reason to go into that. But yes, oh, we have gone through and they have made sure that all affairs are in order and all yeah. of that. Correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good because I, um, I I think it's important that you know what it is that's I guess coming your way, right? I'm in the same. I'm not talking about numbers. I I don't need bank account numbers. Got I don't it. need trusts, <laughs> yeah. estates. Yeah. I don't need any of that. I'm just thinking about like the things that you will be handed down upon, <laughs> things that are coming your way. Sure. Like, do you have a, a sense of what those are? Because I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Why? And uh. Well, I, I had this conversation with my son last night. Oh. Uh, we'll get we'll get to it in a minute. I mean, I because I'm in the same boat as you. When I think about what my parents have given me or will <laughs> are planning to pass on, they're still around, bless them. Uh, like they're in Colorado, they're doing their thing. I don't know exactly. Like I know where the safe deposit box keys are. I know you know I'm an only child, so I kind of I get yep. files every now and again. I get this thing they send me, and they say, "Hey, you here's something you should keep for one day." And we all know what one day means. Like one day Got means it. it's going to be, it's the end of days. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but, but none of that stuff really matters, right? None of that stuff r- really matters. So I started, because I started thinking about like what I really get from my parents, mostly because I had this conversation with my son last night. And um, because he comes into me and he says, uh, he's a big Fortnite player. You know, Fortnite, the game, Fortnite Nation. Fortnite Nation, are you a big Fortnite person? No, you don't play I don't like okay. playing against right. real people. It stresses me out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, but he loves it. And he's a huge fan of like skins, right? And skins in Fortnite are like, it's a total racket because none of the skins or add-ons that you buy are uh, uh, like help you in your gameplay at skins all. Skins is like an, like you're an outfit. That your yeah, character, like that your avatar character. Is yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you want to play as Harley Quinn today? You could do that. There's a special right. promotion and you spend some V-Bucks and you get, yeah. you know, you get this. Those V-Bucks you get through either grinding in another game mode or you get by buying Right, in-game purchases. Yeah, in-game purchases, which are so bogus. Doesn't mm-hmm. help you play the game. Right. You're just spending real money for fake things right. that don't have that have no value. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have had a kind of a long relationship with him about this where it's like, you know, he knows I think it's foolish. <laughs> to spend that money on fake things. Yep. And 
he still wants to do it anyway. So it's always like, well, buddy, it's your hard-earned money, your uh-huh. babysitting money, your whatever money. But I guess you could do it. So I try the passive-aggressive, horrible dad stuff. <laughs> yep. And that that doesn't work. So last night he comes in, he's, he's been doing some work around the house for us that we've been paying him for because it's above and beyond the call of duty. We, we got have, you know, projects. And he says, okay, so I've got, I think I've got like 80 bucks cash now and I'm thinking about what, what I could get. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh. 80 bucks now you you want to throw at fake things? Oh, he we wanted to send all of that on skin. Yeah. Don't know. It has to have the S. Skins, yeah. <laughs> So I, I, we had to have an intervention, and it hit me just then that this behavior that he is exhibiting right now is me. This is what you're handing down. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. And I realized, I didn't realize just how, how much anxiety I carry around. It, like, erupted out of me, and I, I sort of ejected uh, stories into my bedroom on to him of like my history and uh like how i got myself into trouble after college with just like that just spending money because it was just the little nickel and dime stuff Uh. and then how i played so much like sim city on the iphone and spent real money for fake things and it's just that it is that addictive personality thing that I live with. And I live with it now around food. My relationship with food is still terrible. It's bogus. It's the worst. <laughs> and uh, and because it's like you just, your brain tells you, hey, I need to, you need to have this little satisfaction. And what we called it last night, my son and I, was the emotional boner. And uh, <laughs> that you, that you get this. You get this little emotional boner when you, when okay. you, when you spend your skin, skin money. <laughs> Duh. All right. <laughs> okay. We're not talking about skin money and boners. <laughs> You're fine. You're doing great. All right. So so that's where we are. And I because started it's realizing, like a oh my little God, reward? I, yeah, is that the yeah, point? Yeah, it's okay. that little dopamine hit, right? It's that yeah. little dopamine hit. And, uh, and it's really it just you came upon you. You, didn't, you weren't saying, hey, let's have an intervention because you say, saw it in yourself. Like this really came no, out of nowhere. It came out of wow. nowhere, wow. nowhere. And I've been thinking about it like, you know, for the last 18 hours, I've been thinking, oh my God, this is that I just, this is me. And I huh. realized this is the stuff that I am handing down to my kids because it, it, I, well, it's just really, it just really bothered me because what we think about when we think about things we've handed down, there's sweet songs about it and all this stuff. We think yep. about handing down like these treasured gifts uh, mm-hmm. that, that come through a family. and. And none of that matters. What really matters is I just gave my kids anxiety, right? I gave them anxiety. And so here's... so (laughs) so I talked to to Dr. Dodge, right? Who's a friend friend of the show, Dr. Dodge, who uh, was very helpful last week. And he um, (laughs) told me, he told me the following. He said, worrying about what we're handing down is very understandable. And naturally... (laughs) It's likely worse than you think. No. Most of what you have saved so carefully is just misplaced by your children, but plenty of it is either mislabeled or totally misunderstood. Needless to say, all the rest is just thrown away. (laughs) So he's positing that you have been filling your children up with stuff and it's not even correctly labeled or thought of. It's just all like there in like a horrible soup. 
Oh, right. No. He goes on. We really should focus on all the terrible habits we leave for our children because this is our true legacy. I, for example, bite my fingernails until they bleed, something I've proudly inherited from my father. You can imagine already all the ways your children will remember you. <laughs> now, this was all, uh, uh, I, I think, was it, we, we went off on a terrible tangent about the fact that he is a bona fide psychotherapist and this is horrible uh, tone. If even if it might be true, right, that it should be a segment called "It's likely worse than you think" with Doctor Dodge Ray, um, <laughs> because that was that's not the purpose of the show, right? And yet, this is the nut of my anxiety about the things that I've handed down. Like, I can imagine the ways my children will remember me because I know the way I talk about my parents, and they're not gone yet, huh. right? I already think about the things that I have inherited. I don't think about the dishes or the, you know, the the flatware or the photo books or right. anything else. The legacy that I collect from my parents and their parents is uh, and and their parents before them is a legacy of like alcoholism and <laughs> you know right. like that that's the that's the history and that's the thing that fills me with existential dread <laughs> that my kids are have only been on the planet for less than two decades and i'm already completely paralyzed by the emotional baggage <laughs> i'm leaving them with are you more so emotional baggage? are you more worried or is it across the board, are you more worried about emotional things or physical things? Like biting your fingernails, alcoholism, I consider those to be more physical things than anxiety or need over, you know, overindulgence, like you were talking about food or skins, stuff like oh, that. Oh, I don't think there's a more in that. I think it's all okay. just a big cornucopia of, yeah. uh, of awesome. And it's, I like how you phrase it as that they, how they will remember you versus mm -hmm. what you're filling them up with. But they both means the same thing. They kind of mean it's just the same an interesting, thing, yeah. 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 But it's so yeah. it's like your the dark part of your legacy. <laughs> yeah. And when you think about it, I mean, look at you. You're doing a whole history thing on the Civil War, right? And I sure, there's a, a study. You're taking UCLA. a whole. We call it a whole history thing on yep. the Civil War. You yeah. could call it a course at UCLA <laughs> and sound all official. Yeah. You're doing a real book class desk. Yeah. 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 Right. And I just watched that horrible uh, movie Alexander, which is really a, a, a like a treatise on emotional stuff. And these right. are characters like these are legends figures of history and we still remember them in terms of sure what they did but also the fact that they were like massive anxiety vessels and so right. much of what drove them to war was mania fueled by fear right and this was like when years had BCE before, after them, right? Like this is thousands of years ago, and we're still we still think about history in terms of um, mental and emotional distress, right? But relate that to parents then, because yeah. that's because so much of it is handed down. You mean? Yep. Yep. Got it. Because it's handed down. So this is obviously nothing new, but you know when you have that feeling when you're just going along fine in your day and all of a sudden you're struck as if by lightning with a new blossoming anxiety, something you've never thought about and then you can't let go of. And that is what my kids are inheriting from me. And <laughs> oh, no. it's the worst. So, oh, my God. Well, just about five to six days ago, I have been doing more inner 
work, inner work, gross. But uh, with my <laughs> therapist's help, being a little more, instead of just like... You, you and the other moms on Wisteria Lane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's rosé all day and we're really doing our inner work. No, I've been being more conscious about what I'm going through instead of just sitting and marinating in anxiety, which is what I've done for most of my life. Like, yeah. what are you really dealing with? And anyways, I was walking with Foster... <laughs> And luckily, no one was around, but I was walking and I was thinking, I won't tell you exactly what it was, but I said out loud, oh, right, daddy issues. (laughs) (laughs) I just kind of yelled that out loud because I do have father issues, unfortunately, as all brilliant people do. Um, yeah, but well, no, that's but exactly I, yeah. it. There's even a trope for it. Daddy right. issues. Yeah. Of course there is. I like, know. Yeah, yeah. So do you, can you... Can I you, pronounce it daddy. <laughs> can you roll some off for me? Like, what do you, what'd you get from your dad? Come on. He doesn't listen, does he? <laughs> they do. Season, They're like season, season behind, six. But they They're do. way behind. It'll um, be years before you have to face them on this. It can all sort of be summed up in a bunch of little squiggly, like those maps of gerrymandering where it's not like a square, it's like this crazy, <laughs> twisty, hard-to-follow thing. But they yeah. all lead back to um, wanting to impress my father. Yeah. Because while our relationship is wonderful now and has been for so long, and has always been very strong, I think there was a getting used to because I'm not like him. He was a big football star. He works in business and has briefcase files. And I do none of those things. (laughs) I was writing skits for choir concerts and all of these things, directing little shows and stuff. And I think it took him a while. He really did the work, but it took him a while to understand, what? That's not a, that's not dribbling. (laughs) Like, I don't know what dads do. That's not woodwork we talked about last week. So yeah, so always trying (laughs) to... You know, you're singing in an acapella group, don't you, Tom? (laughs) Yeah, you know. Do, do you think yeah. this is tennis? And I'm like, wait, oh no. Um, so yeah, just wanting his approval and us sort of having to come up with a different language in order yeah. to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, for me, uh, both of my parents, I, I feel like I've inherited their same struggles with you know, um, food, health, uh, health, anxiety, money, uh, stuff. Like it's just all mm-hmm. sort of this melange. And my family in general, not my parents necessarily. My parents actually, uh, in terms of of dealing and living with addiction, mm-hmm. to me are real role models because, like my, um, you know, my dad effectively stopped drinking when I was like two. Like I only hear oh, stories wow. of when he used to drink, and um, and, and it so was, it, he, it was big time for him. Well, his dad killed himself with alcohol. Like it, it he, this was the one. Oh, you're gonna love this. Didn't I ever tell you this story? Uh, my granddad was in your. This is uh, I trigger trigger alert. Okay. This is this is a uh, urological trigger warning. Uh, oh he no! Used to go golfing with his urologist, and oh. uh, he they would go into the bathroom, and this is when all the male bathrooms uh, had just trough urinals. Yep. Right. You just walk up to the trough and let it go. And uh, there were uh, his doctor would like notice my granddad's stream and would see pieces of decaying liver coming out of him. You did say trigger warning, but oh my God. And, And his response was always, you know, we need to we need to talk about your drinking. And yeah, and, and grandmother died of emphysema, like smoking. Oh, wow. 
suffocated, literally suffocated to death. So, so I assume if that's the case, you don't let it mellow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, folks. This has been What's That Smell? (laughs) Wow. All right. So anyway, addictive traits, uh, spending fake money on real things, uh, needles, all these things that we're handing down to deal with. Um, So let's talk about what what to do. Yeah, what do you do about this? Because I I think I have never planned on having children. I love being an uncle. Like, I have a lot of children in my life creeps. But, uh, you know, like I have, that's very important to me. But it's also... I think there is a sort of a per, per piece of me that is worried what I would pass on. Yeah. No, yeah. I, if I were in your shoes, I would absolutely be worried what I would have to pass on. <laughs> no. Look, that's wrong. That's Look, just Susan, rude. Dr. Susan Newman and Dr. Uh, Alice Boys. Uh, uh, Alice Boys is the author of the Anxiety uh, Toolkit. Okay. And their entire uh, model here is like, how do you prevent passing on your fears. And first things first, to get get this out, you can't avoid passing on a lot of your stuff, right? right? It's just how it works. And part of it, that that is the, that's the great gift of parenting, is right. your kids are going to get stuff from you. It just, it, it just is. And, uh, and so the handshake that that comes with is you're also passing on a lot of good stuff. Good stuff. Without absolutely even knowing right. it. I didn't mean to yeah. skip ahead, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. That's absolutely right. And so a lot of this, of focusing on your kids, is really focusing on you, right? Mm-hmm. It's focusing on teaching yourself language and accommodations to move through your own anxiety under the the subtle disguise of not presenting it to your kids, right? So okay. steps. Uh, first, if you have a persistent fear allow other adults in your child's life to model a lack of fear, right? For me, I have, uh, so let's just say I'm still dealing with my paralyzing fear of needles. Uh, It sure does help that I have a partner and my spouse who uh, absolutely doesn't fear needles and loves it and loves getting blood drawn and loves all of (laughs) that. She's a real freak about it. She does. She just looks at it. She got one of the highest compliments ever received is, Oh, you have great veins. Ooh, I mean, who likes veins. that? Yeah. Right. So no, I'm the sexy. same way. No. I think if you remember when I got the vaccine, I was like deeper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. The the other one, which I think is really great, and I think it's something that we've we try to do around here a lot, which is paying attention to your language. Mm-hmm. And this one centers on two little but very, very big words. And those oh. words are be and careful. Okay. A lot of times when you're watching others, and this can be watching adults or watching kids, you're watching them and you are f- afraid of something. So you say, be careful to them. <gasps> yes. And so you're putting fear, you're instilling yeah. fear. You are oh, literally right. instilling fear in your kids. Instead, you really need to focus on the other attributes of the experience, right? The other attributes are, are um, th- being reflective about what you're afraid of and looking at it the other way. So you might not say, instead of saying like, um, hey, uh, you notice how high off the ground that platform is on that (laughs) treehouse? It's really high. Uh, You (laughs) might say, golly, look at how sturdy that platform is, 
right? You're pointing you're acknowledging out the strength of the, strength the of it and not the height that that might be fearful or uh you know, social anxiety. God, I know you're you must be really scared about playing with those other kids you don't know on the playground. You might turn that into God, I think I think those kids are smiling in your direction. I think they might be looking forward to playing with you. Oh, yeah, what a pivot. Yeah, right. Gaslighting. No. <laughs> but do you think, but does that, um, should you then prov- uh, not ask children about their anxiety? Or is that a different thing? Because I think you should be open about, oh, because one is coming from them, the other is mm-hmm. coming from you. Right. Mm-hmm. So checking in with your children about are you feeling anxious or are you, if they're exhibiting something, is fine because that's good. Yes. But yep. not absolutely putting something there that wasn't there. Got it. Good. Well, and again, it's all about pivoting this language, which is which is what I think is so important, which is like telling, like when they come to you and say, I'm scared of something, it's okay to say that. But we, and, and I think I'm, I might be in that phase where my kids are old enough where I get to have conversations about, you know, emotional boners and my very real and troubled <laughs> history with some of these things and right. lessons I've had to learn, dare I say, the hard way um, as, as a, you know, may my life serve as a warning to others kind of experience, sure. right? Like, like I, I want him to hear that I'm not perfect and he's old enough now where like i would not have had this conversation with him when he was 9 because right. all that's doing is mistreating my son as somebody who is more mature than he actually is he's right. not able to handle those conversations he's not a peer then quite yet right right. Yeah. right but but now he's an older teenager and i can come to him and say look let me, let's let's talk for real about what i am observing in you and what i observe in me and and it's i'm not mad you're not in trouble but i do need to tell you that i'm worried and and yeah. here's why because this behavior has real life implications on how you look at the world and how you get to live in it. And so it's, you're also it's including a way... vulnerability in there, which yeah. is very important. Well, here's hoping. What I learned as an uncle very early on, and that I'm actually terrified I'm going to do in a non appropriate situation, is when a really little one falls down, you go, Yay! Instead of. <laughs> Instead of, oh, no, because when you go, oh, no, they start crying. If you go, yay, or like, hooray, you know, everything's fine, because they're basing it off of your reaction. Now, when I do that in an elderly home, (laughs) it's not as appreciated. (laughs) But yeah, that's the exact same idea. It just in more yeah. of a rudimentary form of just like it not, is. not uh, uh, exactly around our house. We have a, um, a, I was in, in high school, I was in the world premiere musical, The Red Badge of Courage. Oh, the musical. That was a musical. I imagine you really, really like that because, you know, you're into Civil you war. Know, war, war and stuff. Yeah. Um, no, so we, uh, yes, yeah, so I was in the, in the musical of it and that, that has like instilled in me that whole experience of like when you get hurt, when oh, you like, it's just ah, Red Badge of Courage. Got it. You just got scraped. Yeah. Like you did that. Rub that means you did it. a hard thing. Yeah. Got you did okay. a hard thing and you you paid the the ultimate red badge price. Way to go. Like live live uh, on and, and leave that as a badge <laughs> of honor. Right. That's so. usually when I go to a park, my pockets are filled with purple hearts. And I'm yeah. just giving them out to toddlers. <laughs> and then finding a new park. <laughs> if you could pick, what is one of the biggest things that you would like to leave your children? Selective memory? Sure. Your huge collection of nose sprays. (laughs) 
As far back as the Neolithic period, Neo meaning new and lithic meaning stone, cave artists captured images of soldiers with wrapped legs and feet in the caves of Tassili in Sahara. In 1600 BCE, the Edwin Smith papyrus demonstrated the same sort of mechanical limb pressure treatment for lower extremities. Hippocrates used the same treatment in 400 BC. Galen did the same with wool and linen in 130 BC. Oribasius tackled leg ulcers with it too in 324 CE. You'll find the same evidence through the Middle Ages across Europe, but it was William Harvey in 1628 who discovered the direct connection between venous stasis, a slowing of blood flow in the extremities, and external pressure. That is, of course, what brings us to Allen Iverson on January 21st, 2001, who took to the court with what many thought was a white length of pantyhose on his right arm. Iverson had developed bursitis in his elbow. It was swelling, not great in Iverson's shooting arm. But his trainer, Lenny Courier, gave him a compression stockinette and suggested he give it a try in a game. Iverson scored 51 points that night and averaged 35 points per game for the rest of the season. He wore that supporting sleeve for the rest of his NBA career through his retirement in 2011. Of course, most of us don't play professional basketball, but compression sleeves can prevent vein diseases like varicose veins, phlebitis, and deep vein thrombosis, and give extra stability and support to athletes of all stripe. In that way, you might say, the What's That Smell Panic Pals are our compression sleeves, and you can be too. When you become a WTS Panic Pal, you're supporting independent podcasting. We don't track you. We only collect information we need to send you member stuff. No advertising, just 12 more hot episodes of steaming podcast content. And members will get to join us for our live stream recording sessions, early access to each episode in their own personal podcast feed, and a collection of our new Season 6 stickers. Your donation will not renew. This is a one-time contribution to support the production of Season 6 of What's That Smell? Our deepest thanks to you, our Panic Pal compression sleeves, for your dedication and support. Pete! Do you have a lucky number? No, and I feel shame about it. Really? How come? Because I know that I should have the number 13, because that was my grandfather's lucky number, and he loved it so much that he actually had a building, and he uh, made sure that his office was on the 13th floor uh, because it was so lucky. So I feel like I should inherit that number, speaking of inheritance. And then there's the number 42, which is the meaning of life, right, from... uh, Douglas Adams? Uh, Hitch, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I feel like I should take that on. I don't have any other lucky number. I don't know what to do. Wait, I feel like I just, that's not a thing I have. Your grandfather's f- lucky number was 13? Is yeah. this when he was growing up in opposite town? <laughs> I, isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Just, it's his favorite number. Started an oil business and he made sure that all the most important sort of headquarters offices were on the 13th floor because he felt so strongly about it. Really? Well, yeah. I, there's no better lead-in than to beat this week. I am in charge of a listener submission, okay. first and foremost. And uh, it's from friend of the show, June Summers. Uh, she has sent in something before, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it. And I think everyone will know why. Hi, Pete and Tommy. It's me, Panic Pal and listener June again. 
I was just listening to this awesome old 1940s tune by Les Brown called Triskaidekaphobia on the radio and immediately thought of you guys. Have you ever covered that common phobia? I actually thought at first that it meant the fear of Triscuits or crackers or something until I heard the rest of the lyrics, LOL. Anyway, my grandmother was kind of a superstitious German woman, but she didn't have this fear. She got married on that date, and my grandpa stuck a little black cat in her bouquet. What's wrong with this family? What's the story behind this anxiety? Signed, June. Okay. Triscidecophobia, Pete. Have you heard of it before? Is that a fear of the number 13? It is. Triskaidekaphobia, an incredibly common phobia, granted uh, to different levels, but uh, across sure. America. Had, did you know that this was an option of a phobia? No. No, no because I did not know it was an option. No, because your grandfather no. called you little 13, and you, yeah. <laughs> you always had like 13 yes. carrots every dinner. No, and... I absolutely, 13 was never a number that anybody was afraid of in our house. Interesting, but up. you know that it lives out in the world. Of course, yeah. of course. And I know that, uh, isn't it, uh, in China, it means death and something we'll like that. We'll get there. So. Yes. So anyways, right. it's Triskaidekaphobia, Triskaideka, which is the Greek word for 13, and Phobos, the Greek god of yikes. It is also released, related to Frigatriskaidekaphobia. <laughs> I'm really scared Do you want to guess what, the number do you, 13. Do you want to <laughs> guess what that you is? You did say friggin' scared of 13. Uh, it is Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. Okay, wait a minute. Say it again, the word. Frigatriskadecophobia. Frigga Frigga? is the name of the Norse goddess for whom Friday is named after. I had no idea any of this. All of this is news to me. This is exciting. Okay. First, let's hear a little bit of that Les Brown ditty that Jude mentioned, uh, which I'd immediately never heard of and I find absolutely delightful. One, two, three, four, five, six. You're getting closer. Nine. They, there should be a song for every anxiety that's just like this. Les Brown, come on. Sidewalk greats. Yeah, just like everything. Yeah. I'm afraid of needles. Oh no, you're bleeding. <laughs> We can make one, and that could be our song of the week every week. Oh, yeah. God, that's Isn't that, brilliant. It is delightful. I don't even know who Les Brown is, so this was all great. Thank you, first and foremost, wow. June, for putting that in my life. And now let's talk about 13 real quick. If any of our listeners have a fear of this number, unlike Pete and his weird family, or even just a basic uneasiness, just looking at how that number is treated in real estate and travel tells you, you of course, you are very much not alone. Air France, Ryanair, Alaska Airlines, and Lufthansa do not have row 13 on most of their aircraft. In 2015, the New York City-based housing data firm City Realty released a study that found that out of 629 buildings with 13 or more floors, only 9% of the condos actually have 13 floors that are labeled as such. Almost everywhere you go, it jumps from 12 to 14. In January of this year, here's one more for you. The Otis Elevators Company, which is the largest elevator company in the world, estimates that 85% of the buildings with their elevators do not have a 13th floor. This was the part that I was going to ask you, Pete, does the number 13th or Friday the 13th give you the willies at all? 
sounds like straight up no. Straight up no. I don't I don't have any association to Friday the 13th. You don't, I do know when it comes because everybody says, oh, happy Friday the 13th. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. You mean just a day. <laughs> and you're like a real weirdo about it. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm a real weirdo. Yeah. 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 Oh, and tomorrow's Saturday the 14th. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I that am, was a that was a movie, wasn't that? A, that was Saturday the Fourteenth, the movie. Did you ever the, see that? That was, like a, it was like a horror movie, but it was a parody. I thought. Yeah, it was. It was a horror yeah. comedy. Yes, comedy. In, yeah, that in and, and Transylvania Six Five Thousand. That was another movie that. <laughs> it was, right. Yeah, of just numbers. Yes. Yeah, I certainly don't dwell on it, but if it is easy to do, I think I might. Like say like if I'm getting on Southwest Airlines where you pick your own thing, if there was yeah. a a row thirteen, there's a chance I might skip it just because like I'm not a superstitious person, but why tempt fate? I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Like I don't what's gonna happen until I do. Yeah. On an airplane, you get in row 13. What is going to happen? Is just that slice of the plane gonna fall out of the rest of the plane? <laughs> yeah. Nothing. The, the anxiety mask will come down, but it'll be like filled with like Sprite. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, no. Yeah, it'll just be my one seat. <laughs> Even worse, probably like Sprite Remix. Ugh. Yeah, so you're right. That doesn't make any sense at all. And yeah, like the 13th floor of a hotel doesn't disappear or fall in the ocean while right. 14 is doing great. You're right. Just because you don't call it 13 doesn't mean it's not the 13th floor, right? I know. That's the big sort of... You can um, call it dog face floor, and it's still going to be 13. I would definitely avoid dog face floor. <laughs> that doesn't... And I would avoid that whole hotel, because I'd be like, what are you doing comfort in? <laughs> Do you have any idea where this comes from? Fear of 13. Why 13 no, is so widely... Would you like to know two options? No. Okay. Yes, of course. Ladies I would like to know two oh, options. All right. People aren't sure, but here are some guesses. One comes from our old pal, the Bible, at the Last Supper, where Jesus instituted the Eucharist and told his disciples that one of them was going to be a real jerk. There were 13 seats at the table. And who was sitting in the 13th seat? <gasps> Judas. Oh, no. Judas, that old jerk, except... The Bible doesn't say where Judas sat. The Bible doesn't say where anyone sat. Even in Da Vinci's fam famous Last Supper painting, which I looked up, Je uh -huh. Judas is sitting in seat number five. You can tell it's him because in his right hand has the little bag of silver. But Judas is often thought of as the so much about guest. what you're talking about right now. I have no idea. But little bag of silver, I don't even know what that means. You and I come from very different places. <laughs> Sorry, Judas betrayed Christ for a bag of silver. Oh, and, okay. And All right. like a real jerk brought it to the Last Supper, said Da Vinci. <laughs> know your place. Uh, <laughs> so obvious. What, and, this and silver? It was, yeah, and it was marked betrayal <laughs> coins. Um, oh, but so Judas is often thought as the 13th guest, and Jesus yeah. is long, largely thought of to have been crucified on a Friday. Thus, okay. Friday the 13th. There you go. Doesn't really work. No one knows where Judas sat, and probably none of that ever happened. Numerologists <laughs> say 13 is considered gross. That's their word, gross, because of its relation to the number right before it. Numerologists 12? consider 12 to be a, quote, complete or, quote, perfect number. 12 months in a year, 12 signs of the Zodiac, 12 gods of Olympus, 12 labors of Hercules. What? What's that? Okay, clearly I copy-pasted this. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles of Jesus, 12 hours in a clock. It goes on and on and on. So 13 coming after 12 destroys the completeness. What do you think about that? I don't know. 
I think what do numerologists say of 14 and Duh. 15? Like don't there get are, them I don't started. know if you've I don't know if they know this, but there are a lot of numbers after 12. It really are does. they all stupid? Well, no, ironically, 15 is the sexiest number. Did you know that? You can look it up. <laughs> um, I have two other really quick possibilities just to rattle off. I found this uh, in National Geographic magazine. Folklore historian Donald Dossie said there's an ancient Norse myth about 12 gods having a dinner party at Valhalla. Witness me. The uninvited 13th guest was that old cut-up Loki, and he walked in and, <laughs> right, and arranged for Hoder, Hoder, the blind god of darkness, to shoot Balder the Beautiful, the god of joy and gladness, with a mistletoe-tipped arrow. So specific. <laughs> Typical dinner party. Um, Balder died and the whole earth got dark and everyone got sad. And so it made it an unlucky day. Finally, last one. In ancient Rome, witches were thought to meet in groups of 12. If there was a 13th witch there, it was the devil. That's just straight up stupid. (laughs) All right. Can I just answer? Can I do some real-time follow-up? 100%. I know you're in the middle of a thing, but I think you made a joke, and I just need to level up the oh. joke. It was about 15 being the sexiest number, and it turns yeah. out mathematicians disagree because I googled, what is the sexiest number? <laughs> and I actually found an answer, uh, and it's in it be, Wikipedia of all places. The number the is... 60s. Well, it's a six. The number is six. And the the term oh. we're looking for is a sexy prime. Sexy prime numbers are prime numbers that differ from each other by six. For example, the numbers five and 11 are both sexy primes because <laughs> 11 minus five equals six. The sex term sexy prime is a pun stemming from the Latin word for six, sex. So. Oh, what? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Numerologists. Yeah. I'm starting to think they don't have jobs. <laughs> Numerology is not a thing. <laughs> Sitting around okay, thinking about there you go. Like pinups of numbers in your bedroom, weirdos. Right. I don't like it. So the reason I wanted to list those uh, different potential causes is because if you do suffer from triskaidekaphobia or frigadekaphobia, therapists <laughs> recommend you learn about its cultural history. Uh, to know that it comes from somewhere and a bunch of dumb things like the Bible doesn't say. Also, they say to recognize that people have all kinds of superstitions, and that doesn't mean you have to have them too. For instance, you brought up something kind of close to this. The number four is unlucky in China because it sounds very similar to the word for dead. No, that's right. It's not four, 13. It's four. Correct. China. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, and th- number 13, you can 13 up and down the block in Italy because it's the number 17. This is exciting. The number 17 is unlucky in Italy because the Roman numerals XVII can be rearranged to VIXI, V, meaning I have lived, which because it's in the past tense means you're dead. Hey, Italy, get outside more. <laughs> like, how hard did you have to work to make 17 scary? You just moved all the letters around and it says I have lived, which, oh, Italy, yikes. Anyways. Wow. So what they're saying is, I think pretty much what they're saying, like therapists are like, A, stop it. (laughs) B, (laughs) just for once, but you're not alone. And just realize that everything comes from somewhere. And it's, if you can, and then the only real treatment for it, our old friend, exposure therapy, which I guess you just sit on row 13 a bunch. I don't know. Count to 13. Count to 13. Uh, 13 Skittles. 13 13 Skittles. 13 Skittles. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's it. 13, t- 13 toes. 13. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> You've got a bigger problem. <laughs> so that's all I have. Thank you so much, June, for writing in. I know June doesn't seem to settle, uh, suffer from this, and neither do you and your weird family, Pete. But in case anyone else is out there, there is a ton more research if you'd like to know more about where it comes from and why you don't necessarily have to choose to worry about it. But if you do... Ask Les Brown. Ask Les Brown. Oh, play us out, Les. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. This week's tune is Coming Back Home by We Are the Good and Scooty Wop. Coming up next week. Wow. Because I don't think I get involved, or maybe there is a weird, taken Liam Neeson part of me that would be so offended, I think I would have to get involved. And that's going to be a lose-lose. <laughs> I'm not taking anyone down. If anything, I will accidentally be like, fine, and I'll let myself out of the airplane. Like, No one's afraid of this guy. Oh a lot of Americans have gotten more buoyant. <laughs> Are you talking to me right now? Never! Of course not. Jeez, man. What do you think? Good. Why are you just staring at me? Well, you were talking. You're like a taxidermy dog. You were... <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I was using conversation face. Until then, I'm Tommy Mester And I'm Pete Wright. Thanks for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? Push it to the limit, I can't go no more. Red light.